Today's episode is brought to you by MetPro. Hey, do you want to improve your health but not sure where to start? With thousands of health strategies available, identifying which one works for your body is extremely difficult. I know it was for me until I found MetPro. The key is to understanding and mastering your metabolism. So if you're looking for a high-touch experience working with a metabolic expert, or if you want access to the tools their industry-leading coaches use, visit metpro.co, that's metpro.co slash dose to take their assessment and speak with their team to learn which option is best for you. And hey, the Dose listeners will get up to one month free if you sign up. Head to metpro.co slash dose to take advantage of this opportunity. More on MetPro later in this episode. What I want people to be up to do is to think more carefully and to observe better human nature and to accept that it's all about the humans. You know, if you, I always say if you're insecurity, you're in it to protect people. I think because because I see the devastation that these breach, breaches can cause to people personally and to businesses, and, and, and it's not just the money that they lose and the reputation for brands, it's the loss of self-confidence and self-belief. It's the fact that people can be, they're so cruel. You know, romance scams, it's so cruel. Hey, welcome to The Dose, a show dedicated to deep and engaging conversations, highlighting individuals that are in the pursuit of authentic and courageous leadership who approach life with insatiable curiosity, bold action, and common sense in these divisive and uncommon times. It's my hope that you take something away from each and every one of these conversations and apply it to your own life as we all intentionally attempt to become the best we can possibly be, being drawn towards our purpose and calling, committing to a life of service, making this place better than we found it, and living true lives of consequence. Today's outstanding guest is Jenny Radcliffe. She's a social engineer and security expert. She focuses on those human elements that are so often exploited by those bad actors out there that are seeking to gain unauthorized access online and in the real world. She's branded the people hacker. She can bypass the strictest security systems out there. She can defuse a crisis. She, she can spot a lie in seconds. She started in supply chain procurement in industrial manufacturing, but she had this deep personal interest in how people were duped or manipulated into revealing confidential information or permitting access. That's known as social engineering. She's like an ethical hacker in the digital world, right? But in the physical world, she exposes those security flaws for the greater good. She highlights weaknesses, raises awareness, enable fixes. She considers those natural human instincts that are often overlooked and sometimes enabled in our cultures. She looks at the science of behavior, questions our assumptions, and the people that we trust. She examines how to put security at the forefront without making cumbersome, complex systems and processes, right? She's worked with law enforcement, military, financial services, politicians. She's challenged the most observant gatekeepers out there. She also trains people in nonverbal communication, questioning, and negotiation techniques and tactics. She's worked with banks on public awareness fraud. She's a regular media commentator. She's got a great podcast out there called the Human Factor Podcast. You need to take a listen to it. So it's all about doing things for good. Social engineering is so powerful. I did this as well. I was trained to do this in the military, and for three years I did the exact same thing that she did, but with the military. So that's where we pick up this conversation. We start talking about sharing some more stories. But just keep that in context. We don't go so much into her origin story at the beginning. I highly encourage you, go check out my show notes and go check out this, the videos of her telling some of these great stories and how she got started. But this is just a fascinating conversation. It's important for us to understand these human elements of social engineering. It will help you become a better leader. It will help you become less vulnerable to those attacks out there. All right, so let's get on with this great conversation here with Jenny Radcliffe here on The Dose. How do you introduce yourself at a party at a cocktail party? Like, what do you do? And someone comes up to you say, what do you do, Jenny? Do you know what? It really depends on the mood I'm in. So sometimes I say, oh, you know, I just, I just, I'm, I'm a salesperson. I sell double glazing, you know, <laughs> right. because the, because what my family say is if someone asks me that question, I tell the truth. Then now it's about me. You know, now it's about Jen. Yeah. Because if I say, I suppose the sensible corporate way is I'm a security consultant specializing in physical infiltration mm -hmm. and psychology, which is a bit boring. And of course, if you do my job, as you know, you, you're kind of allergic to boring. So I say, I'm a burglar for hire. Yeah. Uh, but I'm on the side of the angels. You use that. Use the, should really be on the business card. Yeah, you use the power for good instead of evil, and yes, and we share the same. I, I was formally trained to do what you do, right? I got trained by the government to kind of be a bad guy, 
And um, I was, I'm fascinated with that though. And I'm sorry, I'm interrupting you, Rich, no, as I am on your own show. It's okay. But I do a show as well. And, and, and when you say that, I always, so I've met lots of people who've been trained to do this uh, for, for law enforcement or military or what we call alphabet soup in the UK. <laughs> right. And I always wonder about it because a key element for me was that rules and regulations were always, I always took them more as a suggestion than the law, mm-hmm. if you see what I mean. I mean, I don't break the law or anything, but like I would always work around them. But my friends who did social engineering and did that kind of physical infiltration, who were law enforcement military, always had to work along tram lines, you know? It fascinates me that you were trained to do it. Well, it was, yeah, social engineering was what, it was a school in social engineering. I didn't know what it was and meant, but it was it was for security purposes, right? To make sure, to, to, to right. find holes in security, both on the mm-hmm. digital and the physical side. I was trained on the physical side. There was a digital aspect of it that I wasn't smart enough to do. But man, those guys were mm. really crazy, scary good. They're and, amazing. And, and did some amazing things. And it opened my eyes up to how vulnerable we are. And you can look at an institution with a big wall and the concertina wire and all of these things, you know, and these secure servers and everything else. And it's, it's, I've come to the point that that's all kind of a facade. I just assume when I turn on a computer that it's hacked. I just assume, (laughs) right? Now that if I see somebody walking down the hall and they've got the danglies around the neck, that that doesn't necessarily mean that this person yeah. needs to be here. And 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 that's what we did. You know, the, 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 the kind of model that they gave us when we went to the schools, the three C's, if you have some confidence, a cover story, and a clipboard in your hand, you can pretty much get in anywhere. I love that. And that's so true. It's so true, and I. But the biggest of those is confidence. Confidence. It's like an acting. That was a. You thing. have to believe. Mm-hmm. It's it's what the LAPD call command presence. That's what I've yep. heard. And it's the idea that you couldn't. the The idea of someone arguing with you is off limits. It's like I. You no, know, you you nobody's going to argue. You, if you don't believe it yourself, people do pick up on the, on that insecurity and on that nervousness. I think. Yeah, and. I was certainly nervous in all those times where I went into places. I was in places I never thought I would be in, and it was all because I just walked around looking at a ceiling, acting like I was pissed off. And maybe somebody would would come up to me and say, can I help you? And all I had to do was, man, I wish you could. Fuck, I wish you could help me. (laughs) And they'd be like, they'd leave me alone. And it's like you're begging somebody to just stop and look at your badges and ask you a couple of questions. And that's all it would took, take to, to kind of spook me, you know, and, and, and get me going. Anyway, we're kind of talking about tactics of, of what we we've all, done. But what is that in the scene? What does that mean? I mean, does that in that when you hear me talking about that, I mean, you do this. I, I can't imagine when you do this for hire because it seems a lot more riskier. When I was doing it, it was a little more controlled because I had to get out of jail free card in my pocket if things got got a little hairy. You know, I got. You know, when when I had the dogs, yeah. dogs at my my groin no. and the guns pointed at no. me, I had a letter that said, "Hey, call this number." And it's the dogs, though. I love dogs in any other context, but not the context of work. Um, and I've had that. We we I did a job where, um, and we do need to go back, I guess, and set some context to all of this. Yeah, and I'll right. explain more. But like, I did a job where, um, oh my. Like the guards were so good, and they were the type of people who I couldn't smile my way past. So basically, a lot of the time, because I look very innocent and I, and and you know I don't look dangerous, and you know, and and I say this without you know ego or anything, but like I'm a middle aged woman. There's no agenda here. I'm a middle aged woman. You you know now. I mean, back in the day, it wasn't so much, but but you know, I was never like. A, particularly striking to look at you know I, I could I could very easily blend, blend in. in I could sort of disappear mm-hmm. um you know people always think that the most dangerous people in a situation look like dangerous people I was hired a lot of the time by military or former military men who just knew that the minute they walked into any situation 
people would at least notice them, but probably be quite wary because they were huge guys and, and yeah. they have that military bearing mm-hmm. and gait um, and everything. But I could just, I'd walk in and talk to cleaners and uh, receptionists and the coffee lady and everything. And I mean, it's just so disarming. And I know it is. Um, and I guess it's why I made a very, I, I, I picked a side very early on because I saw very early on the potential of being someone who people could relate to were not threatened by and could talk to. And so I, I could see that that could have been used for really bad things. Yeah. And is used for really bad things. The public don't really realize that. And if you're not in the business, you don't realize that, you know, a threat doesn't always look like a threat. You know, that was what was eye opening to me is when I went through this and probably what, what I'm taking it, 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 I think on the outside, someone might say, well, this is kind of a crappy way to live through life, this kind of skepticism and not trusting anybody. And it's not that. It's just that this it's a, it's more of an awareness and situational awareness or looking Absolutely. at the big picture. And you're right. And what woke me up, and when we used to give the briefings after it was all over, you know, we talk about the points, this is what happened. And I would put a slide up there. It was a slide that we got from the most – it was the individuals who have caused the most damage – to the United States in both both in monetary value and also in lives lost. And it was it was the 10 most wanted people and I said what's the common thread up there? They all they all 10, well there was 11 pictures up there. 10 of them and one were all men and one was a woman, but they were all average white looking dudes. There's a massive amount of prejudice goes in. And I mean, you know, in terms of gender. So people, one of the questions people ask me an awful lot is, oh, is it easier because you're a woman to be a social engineer, you know, to, 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 to kind of pass unnoticed, to sneak into places? And it presupposes that the security team are men. Yeah. And I, and I just, you know, but but the, but the truth is, it, it, it sort of, it, it, it there are preconceptions about the fact that you don't look a certain way and you're not a certain way. And it's very dangerous. And I mean, one of the best people I ever worked with was on one job and they were at retired age and and could very easily act as if they didn't have the first clue about anything, you know, mm. that they were a little bit befuddled and a little bit vague. And yet one of the sharpest minds and a mentor that, that I've ever had in my life. So, I mean... That that's one of the I think that's one of the the weaknesses of security, not so much in the industry but just in the general you know out there in the wild is that TV and films and popular culture lead people to believe that you've got to look a certain way and be a certain way, mm-hmm. um, and 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 that's and 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 that's really not the case. No. Well, like I said, when you look yeah. at the, those, you look at the people that done the most damage from a national security standpoint, they were primarily men who felt insignificant in the world and they came across an opportunity where they could feel some significance and some importance and that's what drove them and so you know it's not like you know someone from North Korea is going to come barreling down the gates in a tank you know you know or or someone with a suicide vest necessarily coming in screaming Ali Akbar you know it's not it's not necessarily going to be that way you got to I know that's you know, what woke need, me up to the security side of it, you know. I, I just need to say something on that because I give a talk and I touch on what exactly what you're saying. So I'm from Liverpool in the UK um, and, and we're famous for two things in Liverpool. We're famous for the soccer or football, if you're going to give mm-hmm. the correct term, right. Hello America. Yeah. We love you, but we I, call it football. I concede. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we have the best football team in the world uh, in Liverpool. And uh, and we also are the birthplace of the Beatles. And mm-hmm. the guy that killed John Lennon in New York, mm-hmm. Mark Chapman, said he killed John Lennon because he thought if he could kill John Lennon, he would be somebody. Yep. And it's to be, and, and it's that that is so dangerous. Because when I look at, when we combat security threats and I look at motivations, yes, there's money. And then there's coercion and there's ego and there's all those things. But that ego mixed with ideology is a very difficult one to combat because what you've got then is someone who's not just attacking something that they disagree with or that they don't believe in, but it's it's about them and their view of themselves. And that's something that from a psychological point of view is very difficult to crack because because everything that they've ever done or believed in, or certainly since they've had that mindset, is geared towards 
confirming confirmation bias of what they believe they are. Um, and so it's very difficult one to kind of crack and to, and, and to unravel uh, in any kind of uh, security context. Yeah. Anyway, I, I knew when I spoke to you that we completely that I would take you off tangent. No. <laughs> and I apologize, but it's just because you know it's so great to meet someone who's done the job, but in a different way. Yeah. So. Well, so how, so tell me what. Let's for the context for the audience. Let's yeah. define social engineering. I mean, you and I know what it is, but it, what, what in your definition, what is social engineering? So I say it's the manipulation of human factors to gain unauthorized entry to assets, information, or facilities. But I go further than that, and and, and it is the weaponization of human error. Uh, the things that make us human, our emotions, our psychological levers, um, our fears, our desires, all of those psychological concepts. And our uh, vulnerability to influence and persuasion to bribery and coercion, all of those things make us some something that is pliable to someone who wanted to attack us or the things we have access to. So social engineering is, I always say to people, I'm a hacker, but I'm not a technical hacker. So imagine a hacker without a computer who focused on hacking the brain and using that uh, soft skills, if you like, and I hate the word soft skills, but using those skills to get someone to reveal that information, to click on a link, open an attachment, give me information, make a connection that facilitated an attack on them or the people they work with and for. That's what social engineering is. And it's the most effective hack in the world. Mm -hmm. So depending on which statistic you look at within the industry, anything from sort of 70 to 90%, 99% of all breaches in security come down to human error or manipulation. Yep. And the people doing the human error or manipulation are broadly labeled social engineers. So that's why. Yeah, I love that. Def you mean, that was a great definition. You're absolutely right. And I think it's all the damage that we see done in these security hacks, they are, it's through social, they think it's through brute force. I think there's a, this kind of idea that they, and maybe it comes from culture and TV and movies and stuff that it's like this brute force thing, but it is a very subtle, like you said, I didn't realize it was 90% of these attacks were easily. Yeah. Yeah. The latest 2021 figures from companies in the industry is 88 to 91 roundabout because Broadly speaking, you can put anything down to it. So you can imagine a phishing email. People will have heard of phishing emails. These these emails that come from, you know, the African prince or the astronaut in space saying, oh, please look after my money. Right. I've got all these millions and I need someone to help me. And, you know, and we, we all think we can spot those. But there's a more targeted version called a spearfish. And, and those type of things is where we look at the person, research someone online, find out their likes, their dislikes, their associates, their family, their friends, their routines, the things that they care about, the things they're passionate about, and then just sort of play on those emotions to get a response from those people. Well, all of those things, those scripts, those approaches are done by a human, a social engineer, on another human. Now, when I do it, we do it for educational purposes. We replicate those attacks and then say, look, this is why you fell for this. This is what you need to be careful for. This is the information that you should probably hide that's online in your, in, you know, in your social media account. Maybe you're telling me you know, about your family or where you live or something like that. You know, People are very careless about those things. But essentially, whether it's that, whether it's a scam call, often with senior or elderly people you know, who take a call more often than they're online, um, or whether it's um, over the phone, you know, text messages, particularly in COVID, lots and lots of text messages that ask you to click on links and open attachments that were fake and would open up your account. Part of a blended attack, if it's a corporate target, to sort of get a way in. And, and, and the idea is, is that we build up all this information, social engineers, malicious actors out in the wild, out in, in you know, the space, the real world and cyberspace, they just need one little way in, one key mm -hmm. to open up the picture to get into the business or into the, the organization or whatever it is, and then the whole thing starts to unravel. And arguably, and the reason the stats kind of change is arguably everything is down to a human in the end because someone, computers don't attack people. Someone's yeah. telling the computer to attack people. So that's why it's so high. 
Um, and that's why it's so difficult to defend against. It, it really is. And it's, you know, even from the technical standpoint, I remember seeing, again, I wasn't on the, on the hacking, com, the, tech, the computer hacking side, but it, 100% of the time they would, and it would, we, we were given 60 days to own the entire network. It took us uh, average six days to own the entire network, not just this person's computer. And it was just amazing the things that you would see. And, and it, was all, it, was, it was the human element of, like I said, of, of leaving thumb drives in a bathroom. And, oh God, if you and then people drive. just take them and just put them in their computer. I mean, People know they're not meant to do it, but curiosity, see, so psychologically, mm-hmm. leave curiosity. You're not meant to plug in a thumb drive, a memory stick that you find somewhere because it can have any number of bad things on it that'll just access your computer. And your computer's attached to a network, so then mm. it'll access the network, right? But if you write confidential on it, people will plug it in straight away. <laughs> right. <laughs> if you write payroll, yeah. they will drop everything else because they want to see. So what social engineers do is play on these human traits, this psychology, yep. this curiosity, or, um, you know... On social media, romance scams, you know, preying on people's need for companionship and loneliness. And, yeah. you know, it's a very cruel thing to do because it kind of it hits people's humanity. It hits our basic needs and then our higher needs. And what I always say is, uh, to your point, is that people imagine that they're not rich enough or important enough to be hacked. You know, this only happens to CEOs of big companies or, or billionaires with lots of money. But it's not true because these days... We're all connected to each other. Yeah. I mean, I could, you know, we, I would see that they would get into it <clears throat> from a hierarchical standpoint, someone really low on the totem pole, get into their computer and you just, you dig fine enough. It leads you to one person, leads to another. And eventually you got the security manager. And I can't tell you how many times the security manager had on, because the most secure thing on the boat, they would have a folder literally called passwords on their computer. Right. I mean, literally. And once you had that, I mean, you're off to the races. I mean, hundred. I mean, just so many things I could talk about. My mind is racing. But what do you think about when you? What are some of the things that we should be looking out for? I guess. I mean, what are some of the things that you've gone through this? Because at least for me, I would sit there and I would just be begging people to almost arrest me or stop me. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd almost get kind of stupid, blatant because, like, come on, will you please just know, stop me? And and they people- wouldn't. It's easier to convince people of anything than to convince them they've been fooled, right? One, because they psychologically buy into the fact, I can't have been, and it's not stupid, it's like, I can't have been that gullible, I can't have fail, fallen for that, but everyone can fall for it, I can fall for it, mm-hmm. and I've spent a lifetime perfecting it, you know, it's so, it's easy, I mean, I think, in terms of what people can look out for, I talk about four red flags, and these four red flags, no matter how you approach, so whether you approach in a written way, you know, via emails or whether it's a social media contact or whether it's on the phone or in person, what a con artist needs is they need your judgment to lapse, okay, temporarily at least. And the way to do that is to raise your emotions. So if your emotions are high, uh, your decision-making, your rationale is low. So I always say emotion kicks logic off the cliff. So let's get someone happy because they've found a new romantic partner. Let's get them happy because they've won something or they've got a discount or there's a new job that pays suspiciously well. Or let's make you angry. Let's tell you that you've done something wrong that you haven't done. So you want to correct me. Uh or let's let's make you you scared. You know, let's tell you that you've um, that we've got hold of your computer mm-hmm. and we've got all your photographs and we've used them to fabricate some story about you on an adult site or something of that nature. It doesn't have to be true. It just has to be enough to make you think. Well, oh my god, you know, people might think that's true. This is this is entirely plausible. Maybe I did click on on something by mistake and come off it, but it doesn't matter. And so what we're looking to do is get you in that emotional state and in that like red mist in the fog of fear or hope or expectation or greed or whatever it is, then what they'll do is they'll give you a way out. But click on the link and this will go away. Pay me some Bitcoin, this will go away. You know, tell me about 
what you've got access to and where, and this will go away. And what fear particularly does, but emotion generally sort of does, is it's sort of prompting you to take action of some sort. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be the right thing. It just needs to be something else to get you out of that kind of cognitive dissonance. So I say there's four red flags. There's emotion, there's urgency. From a con artist's point of view, we'd never give a mark time to think. We try and rush people and, and get you to think in that moment, you know, because if you have time to think, that's when you go, well, I'm going to just ask my friend about this or I'm going to cut and paste the text of this email into Google. Not click on it, but cut and paste and see if it comes up as a scam, which it will. Um, Or I'm going to just take some time and think, well, actually, if they're in my computer, then how come I can still cut and paste and, you know, all this. And so it's emotion, it's agency, and it's the call to action, asking you to do something. If you put all those things together, what you've got um, is big red flags. Mm -hmm. that, That this, no matter how you'd approach, whether it's in person, it could be your spouse, or your brother and sister, but if someone says, get you emotional, ask for money, you know, ask for a call to action, doesn't give you time to think, and money's the fourth one, because usually it's financial, um, then they're red flags. And the remedy is to take time out and to check and to verify, but it's hard for people to do it because in emotion, we don't do it. Yeah. So that's really, what, that's really what social engineering from a malicious angle is all about. Can we make you emotional enough to act outside of your own interest. And we'll be right back after this message. Hey, you're like me, you're wanting to improve your health but never sure where to start? With thousands of health strategies available, identifying which one works for your body is difficult. I know it has been for me until I found MetPro. According to MetPro, the key to seeing results is mastering your metabolism. At MetPro, your metabolism isn't some mystery, it's a data point. Armed with hard science, MetPro is your health concierge, delivering one-on-one coaching and personalized nutrition and fitness regimes. It's not just about weight loss. MetPro's coaches provide business professionals, athletes, weekend warriors, and everyone in between the support and education they need to live a healthier life. MetPro's team of experts has worked with the most recognizable name in sports, entertainment, and business. They've helped thousands of individuals like you and me transform their bodies by hacking their metabolism. I've been using MetPro for five weeks, and I couldn't be more thrilled. I finally feel like I got it figured out. This onboarding program was great. The Intuitive app, I can't say enough of. It helps me plan my meals, gives me a shopping list. I'm eating the foods I enjoy, and most importantly, I got increased energy, and I'm seeing weight loss. I couldn't be more thrilled with MetPro. Recently, they launched a new tool that allows you to experience the same science and tailored strategy that their experts use. Look, this isn't food logging. It's not a tool or a workout app. The MetPro app allows you to track, analyze, and learn what your metabolism responds to best. And that's the key. That's the thing I've never had before until now. So if you're looking for a high-touch experience working with a metabolic expert, or if you want to access the tools that industry-leading coaches use, visit metpro.co slash dose. That's metpro.co slash dose to take their assessment and speak with their team to learn which option is best for you. Best of all, listeners will get up to one month free when they sign up. Head to metpro.co slash dose to take advantage of this opportunity. And I also encourage you to listen to my deep dive conversation with the founder of MetPro on episode 507. And now, back to the show. Yeah, what I, what I learned from all of that and going through that and learning how to, how to be a bad guy was that our intuition is very powerful. I say that anyway from a leadership standpoint. I talk about that. But I think what I really learned after going through this and doing this for a while is that we don't give our intuition the credit that it's due. I think we Mm -hmm. think we talk about it, but to become really aware of it and the self-awareness piece of it, because I really had to hone in on it. Well, as an aviator, I got to hone in on that. So I've, 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 I've exercised that. But doing the social engineering, I had to use my intuition a lot, right? when something didn't feel right and you gave a great example on your recent you talking about that on your on YouTube I watched it on YouTube where you went in and said well I'm going to do this I can't remember the specifics of the job but you were going to do it a day early you said well I'm going to yeah. go in tonight but when yeah. you replayed the tape and what you did that night and it almost went really bad for you it really did. And I'll include links to this for people to watch this. It's 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 very entertaining to listen to. But I bet when you replay the tape of what happened that night, there were probably a couple intuitive 
moments that you ignored that if you look back and you played, you, you probably, oh, you so probably shame. ignored, right? Probably three or four bef- that, that if you would have paid attention to it, you would have stopped and just waited. Is that true? It's so true. And, and, and I mean, I'll, I'll get, I'll sort of, I can, I can sort of summarize that what happened, but what I would say is that it's, if if you feel something in your gut, you 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 do have to trust it, but you need to go to your head and mm-hmm. find evidence as well. And if you feel something in your head, but you don't feel it in your gut, you need to think, well, how do I feel about the situation? Um, and I always say that, but but I think it partly, and you mentioned it at the beginning, was there's a lot to be said for situational awareness for th- for saying, uh, yeah, something something has has been said, and I've dismissed it, and I've dismissed it because I'm tired or I'm lazy or because it seems like hard work or because it's insignificant. And attention to everything that's going on and that hyper attentiveness is very very important in in security situations. But I've always found it's important when I've led teams as well because you are told early on people reveal themselves very quickly. Mm-hmm. But what we do is we dismiss it because it's difficult or because you know mostly they're fine. And all of the people I've I've kind of come across that have turned out to not be what they present to be, so have been fakes or frauds or liars in some way. Excuse me, I'm going to just sneeze. Ooh, bless you. <laughs> Which is terrible because that was such a great thing. But uh, for the edit, I think I'm going to do it again. <laughs> oh, bless you. Excuse me. Okay. So all of the people that I've come across that have eventually proven to be something that they're not presenting as, so yeah. a fake or a liar or a criminal, um, they tell you early on. There's mm-hmm. something early on that you go, oh, that doesn't sound right. But then they keep talking and you keep talking. And, you know, so it's very important, I think, I think to be to be hyper aware of it and to kind of really think, uh, to notice something. And I, whether that's gut or attention or whatever it is you want to call it, I think it's really important. But to talk about that night, because this is the story that, kind of illustrates lots of things about doing something well because I, I, I'd sort of been asked to do this job by someone who I trusted who I still trust and I still get work from today but everything about it was a little bit off it was last minute um, and I was away I was in Hong Kong when I got the call I got a call in Hong Kong to say would you it was all very strange but like I was going to travel back to the UK. So I've been in Hong Kong on a regular business trip. So for a long time, I did my job, which was physical infiltration. So breaking security systems to test them, reporting back on dif- difficulties in security systems. I'd done that for many years by now. And I got lots of work when I was away with business because my regular job took me all over the world as a negotiator I am for a Fortune 500 company. So I was in procurement but I'd negotiate business contracts and I got this call when I was in Hong Kong ready to go home that basically said um the guy said are you are you traveling home coach and I said no I said that you know I've been in Asia for a month and they put me on uh, I said yes no sorry yes I am coach and I, I wish they'd put me on business I've been in Asia for a month and they should have put me on business and it was kind of cheaper them, you know, because I'd save them all this money. So he said, well, look, I'll fly you back business. I need you to do a job. And what he asked me to do was to go into an address in another Asian city that was a, a plane ride away. And I had to look for something on someone's desk. So basically my job is I will access a building. So it's like burglary. So I say burglary, but then I quantify it. I'm a, I'm, I'm a security consultant that can break into buildings. And he's asked me to go in and he said, look, just go in and see if you can get to the guy's study, see if you can get to his desk and his address book. And if you can find a, a name, um, then leave a message. And then if you can't, just leave. But, you know, this is the address. Are you up for it? And he gave me some money and, you know, this is very well paid work. And then there was this business flight back. And I said, yes. But there's a protocol Um and now I work with crews and teams and I train people. And there's a very stiff protocol that we always follow certain rules. And the most fundamental, and you mentioned it at the beginning, Richard, was you always tell the client what the day and time that you're going to get into their building is. Because otherwise, you are literally a criminal. Right. And, and they can set dogs on you and they can be armed and everything else. So, so someone in security needs to know 
that someone is doing a test and going to break into your building if they can at a certain point. And it's only so that everyone's safe. Right. Um, And this was all set for the Saturday night. But I got there on Friday and I was doing some reconnaissance and surveillance. The place was completely empty um, on, on, on an initial kind of viewing. <laughs> so I just went back to my hotel ready to go on the Saturday and I was impatient. And I figured... I'll just go back and do this. It was completely empty. I'll do it now. <laughs> right. It'll take two minutes. I've just got to get in, find the desk. Easy. But of course, like you say, from a kind of um, a point of view of expertise, there is a reason that we have rituals and rules and, and guidelines to follow. And it's not coincidence that the best thing to do is to, is to you know to sleep on it and think about it and everything else. But I was impatient. And when I went back to the house, um, great big mansion, a very quiet area in this in this uh, city in Asia, um, and it it went fine. It was easy to get in and everything else, but it shouldn't have been easy. So if you can imagine an expensive property in a very exclusive part of town, I shouldn't have been able to basically jump over a fence and walk in. <laughs> right. And then when I get to the door, I, I had I had a little beer. I, I just grabbed a few things. I didn't. I wasn't really prepared. I had a, a bottle, a beer bottle opener that I got from the mini bar in my hotel room with the with the name of, of the, the hotel. hotel on it. <laughs> right. And uh, and I just figured out Jimmy Block. I mean, I, I you know I took what I what I sort of what I what I thought I, I had a hand, but I I've learned to to get into places and various things. It was empty on the surveillance run, so you know no big deal. We'll probably find a way in. And you always find a way in. Right. People don't use security when it's there. Yeah. You know, you don't you don't lock doors, you don't use good passwords, it's just So I got in very easily. Uh, and I didn't even need the bottle opener, so I kinda of just dropped it at the bottom of the stairs. There were sort of um I also like there were sort of French windows, French doors, there were stairs up the side of the building, at the top of the stairs there were these double doors that opened, sort of doors slash windows, I don't know really what you call it, into a bedroom recently vacated bedroom no one there i checked there was no one in the house um and went through the bedroom opened the door down down the stairs and into this hallway of this huge mansion with no one in it and what was very obvious was that it was uninhabited but used as sort of a i don't even know what you'd say like an office come like bunkhouse kind of somewhere where people stay but didn't live where people get a nap but wouldn't sleep would eat some food but wouldn't cook. It was just like a, yeah. I don't know what would you call it, like a, a way station mm-hmm. for for people. But what you've said is very true because all that that's when alarm bells should ring. Because who uses those? Mm-hmm. This is not a regular person. This is something else. And if they don't bother locking the door, well, they're not that worried about security. And why wouldn't you be worried about security if you were very rich? And what and the answer I you know that that I now know in retrospect is because they didn't need to worry because they were, you know, I don't know, powerful, rich. You know, people have said I've told the story a few times, and people have said, "Oh, they were gangsters or triads or yakuza or whatever." I don't think it was that so much, but I just think they were powerful people with resources, probably not legitimate, hundred percent, but right. not necessarily criminals. But you know, something along those lines, something that kind of walked a fine line between legal and illegal, right? Ethical and non-ethical. Um, but you know, at that point, I, you're so far into it, and I'm on my own, and nobody at this point knows where I am. Yeah, Whereas if I'd have waited twenty-four right. hours, you would, everyone would have, right. have known. But you, right. So if something goes wrong, and I don't check in twenty-four hours later. Alarm bells go off, people get called, you know, this is a security test. But not if you go in a day early. And, and um, yeah, sorry, go on. I was just going to say, and so you're in the room, you get in the room where you're looking for the name, right? Did you find the name? I can't remember from the story if you found the name or not. Yeah, yeah, because there's a few, I mean, it was easy to find. It was, although it was a big house, you know, they said, look, the studies at the bottom of the stairs, first door on the kind of left. And there was a great big sort of, statue thing at the bottom of the stairs i won't say exactly what it was because it'll give it away um to that person mm-hmm. and i was in and there was the desk and i opened it you know i had to fiddle with things there's a few things but there's this address book and and the, and the reason that the name was so easy to find was because there was only a couple of names in english in it it was all written in 
um, a different language. So, so I was, oh, there it is. Leave my little message, write it down, leave it. And I was kind of just chilling out, you know, it was empty. It was sort of like spinning on the chair and there was a nice fish <laughs> tank and I was watching the fish. And it was just too easy. Yeah. And and then I just heard a load of cars pull up <laughs> outside. And I knew in the moment I that they pulled up, I thought, this is this is bad. Yeah. Because... I couldn't speak the language. You know, there was no way I could explain it. I could tell that they were big vehicles. I assumed, and I was right to assume, they were, you know, a big external security crew that had been called to the property for some alarm or something I'd triggered that I didn't see. And um, I ended up kind of hiding from them in the garden for 20 minutes while they searched the house for me. Cocked weapons. Wow. And there was no explaining it. The, the issue is, is if they'd be in the UK um, and the language wouldn't have been an issue and they'd have caught me, it would have still been difficult, but I could have probably said, look, you know, and I sort of explained it and smiled and sense of humour and a lot of sort of cultural commonality that would have probably got me through with the years of experience I had. But this wasn't that. This is a foreign country with a team that had no idea this was taking place, probably never heard of the concept, there was no way that my winning personality would have bought me a ticket out. And I had nothing on me to show who I was or why I was there. How frightening. Um, Your heart must have been racing. Absolutely ridiculous situation. Risks I'd never take now. What In, in post-mortem, what, what are the, the big takeaways for you? I mean, what, how did that sh- shape you? Well, I stopped for two years. Really? It shook so I'd you done that it much? Since I was a little kid, yeah. So I, I was first taught to do the whole job, initially just hanging out with, I had some cousins and friends who kind of, Liverpool was a place that was uh, high unemployment, high crime when I was a kid. Lovely city, amazing city. The best city, but, you know, not without issues. And um, kids find trouble to get into. And we right. used to get into empty buildings and things. And then into buildings that were not empty, although we didn't steal but then after a while, um, it sort of got out. You know, my cousins worked in nightclubs and, and, and in, in, in the sort of the city centre with all the nightlife. And people found out that we could do this sort of, if you like, security assessment. In other words, I've got a big house. Can you try and break in? And if you can break in, help me stop you breaking in because yeah. that's what the criminals will do. And so, you know, so we, we'd sort of done it for years and um and, and and then by the time I kind of like I'd, I'd done it, I'd just done it my whole life, and, and and we'd started to get asked to do it, just as a sideline. Mm-hmm. But but the people I hang out with, they kind of went the wrong way in life or, or did different things, and I just did it as a sideline. Um, just just because I never thought you could you could talk about it. I mean, I talk about it now online. And even now, people either don't believe me or tell me, you know, or say that, you know they give me prejudice about my city and say, well, you know, someone from Liverpool, of course, they're a burglar, you know, stuff like that. So it was a difficult <laughs> right. thing to to come out and say. And the takeaway, but now I would say, you know, you have to have everything. I, I would say we are less regulated than a lot of people who do it in bigger firms or who focus more on the, on the technical side. You know, we have a sort of a, a looser remit. But I would always let someone know where I was. We would always say the MO that we were looking at. I would report behind the surveillance. And we'd wait for a green light. And I think I was just, it was just so last minute. And so it just looked so easy. I yeah. was kind of impatient and tired. And just thought, let's just do it. And so so the takeaways is that expertise comes, you know, eventually. It doesn't come quickly. And if there's a reason that you do things a certain way, it's probably a really good reason. Yeah, you know, there's things that you think you can skip, and then you you can't. You know, it, I kind of equate that even too from being a professional aviator. There's there's about like where they say the most dangerous time to be a pilot is about a thousand hours, and mm. you you reach that thousand hour mark, right? And right. you think you've done it all because you've seen a lot of stuff. But a thousand hours, you've 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 had a couple yeah. dark stormy nights. You may even had an emergency under your belt. Mm. And then you start getting pretty confident. And we've all gone gone through it. It's like, oh, I got this figured out. And the moment you go, you got this all figured out, the avi- aviation guides come out and kick you in the, in the groin, you know. 
in they 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 slept. That's such a good analogy. They, yeah, that's such a good example. Yeah, it gets, that, that's exactly what it was. It's yeah. just overconfidence. Yeah, so it's the, those moments that you kind of thankfully, you know, don't end up being fatal. Mm. If you if you take that experience right, it if you have a humble, teachable spirit, which is what you got to have, and hopefully you'll have a humble, teachable spirit <clears throat> from here on out, right? And I think mm. that's the way. For me, that's how I approached aviation because about a thousand hours, I got pretty confident, and even now with thirteen thousand plus hours. When I go fly, I put my hand on the on the side of the fuselage and think, you know, this this could get away from me if I'm not careful. And I think that's a good way to approach it, right? Yeah, I think it is. And I think we're superstitious. Mm-hmm. I know I'm superstitious and I have rituals and things mm-hmm. that I take, me too. I take with me. And, mm-hmm. and anyone I know that does anything remotely resembling this type of job is is superstitious. But I I also think it's it's just very it's just very interesting to me the mindset that you have to be in and the idea of someone who's really an expert at something you you stop dismissing little things and the reason is is that like after a thousand hours you get that like excess of confidence which is warranted yep and then at a thousand and one hours you realize that everything that you've just learned can, can spin on a dime and for me what mastery is 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 to be able to go okay I'm kind of starting from scratch today, you know, and all those things I don't want to do, all the checks I don't normally have, they're very boring and and at 10,000 times, they don't matter. Yeah. Com- and 10,001, it matters. Yeah, complacency. You know, and just to finish this story, because people want to know oh, yeah, right. what, what happened, happened was, they, they, they went in, they looked for me, I hid. I had a million different psychophysiological reactions. I wanted to be sick. I wanted to laugh. I wanted to throw up. There was a million things. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I wanted to laugh. Just, just adrenaline and nerves. And then they just suddenly left. And so did I. Um, but I knew that I was in real danger that night. And I went back to the bar and had a few drinks. And then <laughs> I realized I'd left the the, the, the bottle beer, opener. Yeah. Bottle opener. With the name of the hotel on it, which meant they could have come and found me at any point, but they didn't. Um and I I was so tired I stopped caring and I went and had a sort of a bath and, and, and got home. And then when I spoke to the client, they said, Yeah, you know, you were on your own. You were, I was on my own anyway, even if I'd have done it by the book. But particularly going in a day early, it was stupid and I was on my own. And I learned from that. And I think what I teach teams is you'll be very tempted at times to pocket something you find in a drawer you know not necessarily something of value but there's things that you see and you find tokens souvenirs you know it might be the boss's photograph or you, you're tempted to kind of showboat and show off and, uh, and 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 sort of you have to improvise on the job but you mustn't improvise too much but what you don't do is turn the story of this security test into your story. Right. And that's what I did. I turned it into my story because I was more important at that point. It was more important for me to get this over it so I could go shopping and have a chill out in, in that city than sticking to all the protocols and letting everyone know I was just too confident. And so that's what I teach people is you mustn't put yourself in this. This is someone else's story. That's a great analogy for life, isn't it, though? I mean, that whole thing, even though that's specific on the social engineering, but that kind of mindset, I think, separates the professional from the amateur. I really do. Because I think you're right. It, it does, at some point, you're like, oh, this is my purpose. This is who I am. This is what I do. I'm good at it. Life's mm-hmm. good. And that's where you get humbled, right? And it's like, it's never really about you, no matter what you do, right? It's never about you. You get, you get the odd one. I feel like the universe gives you the odd a lesson now and then. I agree. And the lesson is specifically designed, obviously there's the lesson itself, but it's designed to go, do you know that ego that you're kind of relying on <laughs> and that's with you and that's kind of a good thing? Yeah. What we're going to do is we're just going to show you that that ego can just be dismissed. Yep. And what that does is makes you go, okay. That, okay. That is... I'm going to listen to that one. That, yeah. I think I got that one from the universe. That was because I think if I'd have carried on on that trajectory for, for for long, I'd have kept on taking risks. I'd have stopped doing all the checks. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be as good at the job, and I wouldn't be as good a teacher anymore. I had to have that lesson, but it was terrifying, and I gave up the whole thing for a couple of years, and I went and did something that was so different, and completely innocuous, and completely like not dangerous, for two years because it gave me you know, I just had to shop for a bit. Just yeah. Wow. That 
that yeah. bit of an impact, two year, two year impact. That's pretty amazing though. But I mean, again, I, I'm listening to that story and I'm just relating it to so many aspects of life. I mean, the same thing, again, the same thing happened to me on the aviation side. I, of course, I didn't do the social engineering as long as you have, and it wasn't a full-time profession, but, but yeah. What do you hope people get out of this when you're, te- when you're teaching these organizations? I mean, I'm sure you're seeing the same things over and over and you can kind of get to like, oh, I know. But what are you hoping they, when it's all done and you kind of show them, hey, how easy this was, what are you hoping they get they get across? Well, because like I said, like, you know, like the vast majority of these security breaches involve human manipulation. And I think, oh, I just want, you know, I look at it and I think, how not how easy it is, but the people just are so unprepared for the fact that bad people can look and sound so convincing and be so you know does you know i know even in the industry in the security industry there are sociopaths and psychopathic people and and you know you come across it what i want people to be able to do is to think more carefully and to observe better human nature and to accept that it's all about yeah. the humans you know if you, i always say if you're insecurity you're in it to protect people if it's for anything else do something else you know go and be a stand up comedian go and be an actor go and do something else but in our industry i think because because i see the devastation that these breach, breaches can cause to people personally into businesses and, and 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 it's not just the money that they lose and the reputation for brands it's the loss of self confidence and self belief it's the fact that people can be it, they're yeah. so cruel you know romance scams it's so cruel you know taking everybody's you know taking a victim's entire savings Every and their all their self esteem, everything they've ever believed about themselves, you know. They're you know. I always say like you, you start with, or they, and I say you. I mean they, but when I say, I mean like you know. If we look at how to, we could dismantle someone, and I, I would stop short of harm. It's an educational piece, but you know, you can start with money and identity online and everything else, but you finish with someone's peace of mind, and 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 that's so prevalent. Law enforcement are drinking from a fire hose. This is epidemic proportions. It's difficult to avoid. So if if I can show people through stories of what my life has been like and the things I've done and what we're capable of doing, if I can show people that, then maybe somebody stops and hesitates and doesn't fall for this. Um, that's what I really hope. And, and I hope for that on a business level. But I hope for it on a personal level. If I could save one person from falling for a fake, you know, a fake uh, romantic attachment online or from paying money to someone that doesn't deserve it, then that, that that's a win for me. And then on a bigger level, it kind of informs what the military yeah. law enforcement do as well because we're not there yet. People still don't realise this is at the heart of almost everything. So it's, 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 it's that really. I love that answer, and I, I love what you said. And you're so right. The, the bad news is it's the human element, no matter how much the how big ne- you make the wall. But the good exactly news is it's the human, the good news is the human element that can solve it. The thing is, as well, is, yeah. but if you can get, you know, I had a receptionist once. Her name was Marilyn. I call her Marilyn. It wasn't really a name, but I call her Marilyn because she was a bit Marilyn Monroe. She's like what Marilyn Monroe would have looked like if she'd have got older, right? So she's still very beautiful and very kind of put together. But she's just that little bit older and wise. And she stopped me. When she stopped me outright, she was not having the story. She didn't accept plan A, plan B, plan D, E, F, Z, right? And she was so good. And it came from a lifetime of watching people, of observing people, she was polite and friendly and gorgeous, but the, I was not getting past. And for me, you know, when we actually debriefed the organisation and debriefed Marilyn and, and I said, you know, you were the best person I think I've ever come across. You didn't buy it. What that must have made her feel like when she was like, oh, yes, she knew she was. She knew she didn't. But then the CEO to say, but that. That's protected everyone. It's protected all 2,000 people in this building and the organisation. That's a great feeling. And to know that ordinary people, people who don't think they're important enough or rich enough to be hacked, 
are important enough and clever enough to stop a hack, that's an empowering moment. And for someone who studied humans my whole life, um, that's the most rewarding thing to show humans the power that they've got to stop these people. So, yeah, that was very cool. I I love that. Yeah, I mean that. I mean, it goes to the heart. I've talked about this on the show so many times that a lot of times that people don't realize when we're talking about organizations how much influence they have at the front level. Here we are with the receptionist, you know, the, basically the, the first level of security. You know, it doesn't seem like it's security, but it really is. You know, it's a gatekeeper, and they don't feel like they have any impact over the organization, but they do. It's a ripple effect. And she was showing people how to do it politely because people worry about, you know, in certain societies, US and, and the UK being amongst them, we don't want to be rude, you know. We, we want to be friendly and happy and help people. She was showing people you could do it without offending anyone, but you're still not getting past it. <laughs> I love that. I had a similar situation, and, I, and I'd gone through, I was like, God, this is like, I mean, I'm not, again, I'm, I could have been walking around naked and I wouldn't get arrested, you know? I mean, it was just like, and I went into um area and we were trying to get into a, a place that had confidential information, right? So this was like, oh my God, I was pretty confident I could get in. And it was a junior, I mean, 18 year old kid. And he wasn't, same thing, kind of like with Maryland, he wasn't buying it, you know? And I go, I said, well, here's my ID. And I had my real name on my ID. And so even if you, you, you looked up in the database, my name would come up with my picture, you know, over the government system. And and he goes, uh, I don't know. He goes, let me go check this out. And I'm like, oh, it's okay. And so he goes back and pulls up my name, but something didn't seem right, right? He's like, it's something doesn't seem right because it says here that you're this. And I'm like, ah, oh, you know, and I'm trying to social injure my way through it and he never bought it and I've, it spooked me enough and I was like all right I'll just take it and he goes and he kept my ID and I like I bailed out of there and so that kind of almost blew my whole the whole but that's what we wanted you know and we did the same thing and was over is like he was he was like the best and all it took was somebody asking some questions and that's what a lot of people don't realize about these 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 bad guys is that they don't like to get those questions asked you know what i mean it only takes two or three and you're going to spook them no no you slow it yeah you're going to slow it down you're going to you know you, you want as little uh, human contact as possible and as little explaining as possible absolutely and i had another guy one time stop me in a hall and i i did my old standby i wish you could help me i'm going to change these change these these stupid asbestos styles and someone's got to change them and nine times out of ten, I'd tell that story like, oh, God, thank God. I'm getting rid of these ugly stained tiles. You know what I mean? Because every office building has those stained tiles. People, people are more ready to believe backstories than, than you'd imagine. But the one time they don't is, is, is that does it stops you in your tracks. Oh, that's amazing. So what, what are you hoping to do with this now? I mean, is, it, is this all you do now or do you do anything else besides this? No, I create a lot of content now around the topic, a lot of explaining, a lot of talks, a lot of training, and really training's the thing. So we're putting together a course. I did a talk um, for Lab Bible, and we've had so many, so much interest from people from all different walks of life. Um, really, we need to train people to do it properly uh, and ethically and vet people before we train them. We can only counter it if we have people who understand it. So... What's next to me? I've, uh, you know, I'm, I'm writing a book um, about all of this and um, and my life, and also, um, tra- you know, looking to start in 2022, um, some training to see whether we can get people really good at this on the side of the angels uh, up and running. I love that. And are you looking for organizations? Or are you looking for individuals? I mean, what what are you primarily? Individuals. Focusing? We'll start with individuals, but organizations are interested in us training their security teams as well. So we we, we will go with whoever is uh, willing to learn. Although you're going to have me assessing you if that puts anyone off. Yeah, I even grabbed a feather on the way down. Well, I'm glad you're on the side of the angels, as you put it. I think you're doing great work, and I think again, it just just expose. And that's why I wanted to have you on the show because I just don't think. I never really had a chance to talk to anybody else that's really done this, you know, particularly on on the civilian side like you do it. And it just seems so much more dangerous, right? And just so much more. Yes, because we, we don't have to back up. <laughs> but we do, you know, but honestly, we, we're more careful these days. How can people connect with you and learn more about what you're doing? 
Oh, well, I'm easy to find, funnily enough. So uh, my handle online is The People Hacker, but if you put Jenny Security or Jenny Social Engineering into a search engine, you'll find me. Uh, website's humanfactorsecurity.co.uk um, and you can find me on any of the main social uh, media platforms. I'm easy to find. So Jenny Radcliffe. Um, yeah, you can find me on there. Very good. Jenny, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Richard. Well, I think Jenny is just great. I could talk to her for hours swapping stories about this whole concept of social engineering. It's very powerful. And you may ask, well, how does social engineering help us in today's world? Well, to me, the big takeaway is this. It's about your natural instincts. It's so powerful. We don't give it enough credit. We rely too much on the physical aspects of security, thinking that it's provided us and allows us and we can we can rest on our laurels. It doesn't mean that you have to walk around completely paranoid and panicky all the time. It's not that, but you should just be questioning everything. When your computer's on, just assume that it's compromised. And when you just assume that you get the best security system in your house or in your organization, just assume that it can be compromised. It's always compromised by the human element. Always. It's through social engineering. Understanding how people can be manipulated, understanding how people can be swayed. We're very trusting, particularly in the Western societies in the world, we're a very trusting lot. And we just assume everybody is, is going to good. If you've got the right credentials hanging around your neck, you just assume that this person's supposed to be there. Don't assume that. And respectfully, you can just ask questions. And the bad actors out there, they don't like to be looked in the eye. They don't like those questions to be asked. And I think that, that to me, is the, the key takeaway. If you're going to lead a life of significance, you have to understand these elements. And when you understand these social engineering aspects, study it and study Jenny. Go look. Follow the links in the videos in the show notes. Learn more about her because it can help you in everyday life. It can help you with negotiation. It can help you with talking to people, talking with your kids. Understanding those human elements is so key. Well, I hope you got some value out of this. I really love Jenny. Go check out her stuff. Go check out her great podcast, The Human Factor Podcast, and follow all the links to, to learn more about her. If you're finding some value in the show, please, it would mean the world to me if you'd share this episode with somebody. Turn them on to this show. It's through that word of mouth that keeps Dose of Leadership front and center for the past nine years. And it's all because of you, because of that word of mouth. And if you find, feel so inclined, please rate and review this. Spotify is now allowing you to, to um, put reviews and star reviews on there. Please do that if you can. If on the Apple Podcast, same thing, write a review. It'd mean the world to me. Check out doseofleadership.com to learn more about the show, my services as a keynote speaker, consultant, and coach. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.